Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Okay, here we are, continuing in our study on the history of the early church. Today, we're going to be talking about believers acting like believers. All right then. All right. Did anybody not listen to the message last week? All right. Let me encourage you. Um, we're going to try and start plugging this website thing. We're not used to that around here. But we have got a website. There's not, really, there's not much to look at, but there's enough for it to be a blessing and beneficial. So check the website because you can download the messages now. Um, and also just be updated. I think yesterday someone, was it Nikki, looked at the website and was able to see, boom, the, 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 the Calvary Chapel conference in Oxford is on, and she, just, she was able to make it down there. You know what I mean? Um, sorry, sis. About, um, and um, So alleviate, alleviate yourself of that and encourage others to do, to do the same. Believers acting like believers, and we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 5, verse 12, through to verse 34. And I suspect to some degree, this is going to be an extension of what we heard last week, but not as rago, not as coarse, not as rough, not as harsh. I didn't even think it was a harsh message initially, but it seemed like the Lord got all of us by the end of the, end of the afternoon. So, <clears throat> I'm not going to read the verses because I've been encouraging you to read through the book of Acts as we journey and hopefully you've updated yourself and you've looked at these verses earlier on in the week, maybe last night, even this morning in your devotions. So, in Acts chapter 12, actually in Acts chapter 1 through to chapter 12, we see the highlights of the ministry of John and particularly Peter. We've heard the sermons of Peter. First in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, and we saw how many people get saved. We saw 3,000 souls added to the kingdom. The second sermon, after the healing of the lame man, we saw up to about 10,000 people saved. Then we saw, I think there are conservative estimates that it actually could be more than that, more than 10,000. And it was actually after the healing of the, the lame man. Now, then we saw the arrest on account of the healing of the lame man. We saw the arrest of Peter and John and their, and their Sanhedrin hearing. And another bold sermon by Peter. The theme of boldness that comes by the Spirit is pervasive. Last week, we saw the needs of the church met by the church. We saw Barnabas giving freely, voluntarily. In contrast, we saw Ananias and Sapphira give deceitfully, hypocritically, lying to the apostle Peter, ultimately lying to who? Lying to God. We saw that Ananias and Sapphira were drawn away of their lust 
and enticed. And then had followed or followed the enemy in his drawing or his luring away and allowed the sin in that process to, to be conceived and ultimately birthed in their actions. And, re, and, and God responds by judging them severely and killing them both, leading to fear falling upon all. Verse 11 of Acts chapter 5 says, So great fear came upon all the church, and not just the church, and upon all who heard these things, and hopefully upon us too. Acts will teach us important lessons to learn, principles to apply, and warnings to heed. In verse 1 through 11 of chapter 5, we see the purifying and the power of God. Purity and power. Without purity, don't be looking for the power. Remember what happened to Samson? Once you lose purity, there's going to be a lack of power. And in verse 12, we see a continuation of that power, verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord, still, all with one accord in Solomon's porch. That's in the temple, right? Amazing power, but not at the expense of unity. We need to appreciate that. That which we saw established at the beginning of the church by the Spirit and now maintained and hopefully continuing through the centuries to be maintained by the church. Maybe not in a general, complete and total sense, but it needs to be there for us particularly in a local sense. Amen? The unity of the Spirit. That means we've all got to be... It doesn't mean that we're going to all agree on every single fine point of doctrine. We were having a chat about this. You might be Calvinist or Arminianist. You're still brothers and sisters. You might believe in the pre-trib versus the post-trib. Or you may believe in pre-wrath as opposed to mid-trib. That is, when is the Lord Jesus coming back for the church? Well, you know what? We got a perspective here and it's pre-wrath. But we're not dogmatic about it. Hopefully we got some individuals who may be pre-trib. And we can sit down over a cup of coffee and we can dispute it, talk about it, debate it. But at the end of the day, we hug up, we love each other. If Jesus comes back before the tribulation, hallelujah. If he cut it. <laughs> Isn't it? Someone said, someone said, pray for pre and prepare for post. You know what I'm saying? All right then. So we, let's not get divided over those peripheral issues. You know what I mean? Let's love one another. Above all of that stuff. Amen. And let's be unified and maintain. We're not trying to create the unity of the spirit. We already have it. If we're in Christ, we just have to maintain it. Amen. Verse 13. Now it says, yet, check it. Yet none of the rest dared join them. But the people esteemed them highly. Verse 13 is in contrast to verse 14. Verse 13 describes unbelievers. Verse 14 clearly describes believers. The unbelievers in verse 13 do not join, but respect the church from a distance. 
Wow. You see what walking in, pure, in purity and holiness will do? If you're walking in purity and holiness, the world won't take you for a joke. They might not accept and embrace what you believe, but they will hold you in admiration, in esteem, and high opinion. Are you ever at work or at college or at uni, sitting on your own, and unbelievers come over and they sit down with you and they adjust their language? They change their behavior. They don't talk about you behind your back because they know that you're the real deal. And you don't give them nothing to talk about behind your back. See that brother? And he calls himself a Christian. You don't give them any of that ammunition so that they can aim and target you as a joker. See, you're not an actor. You're not a chameleon, like we talked about last week. You're not a hypocrite. It's like someone saying, you know what? Boy, I don't really go to church, you know. But if I did, I'd come to your church. They may not want to come to your church, yet they respect you and they respect your God. He says, although some didn't join, verse 14 says some did. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. How many of you know that the way we act and behave will either contribute or contradict the growth of the church? Believers acting like they believe. And this is where the process begins. It starts with us. We want to see outsiders convicted of their sin, of righteousness and judgment. Like it says in John chapter 16, right? Verse 8, it says, And when he, speaking of the Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And the Holy Spirit will work through our lifestyles. He will work through our testimony and the proclamation of the gospel from our lips. That's how he's going to work. And we have to give him something to work with. Not the opposite. It'd be like, what? You've been working here for five years. I never knew you as a Christian. Furthermore. And then they throw all this mud at you. And it sticks. No. We ought to be not going in that negative direction, but in a positive direction to the point where we are an example. You know what I'm saying? To unbelievers. Why? Because then we give the Holy Spirit something to work with. Something to convict people of. Like we talked about with Adam. Imagine if Adam never took the fruit when Eve ate it and said, what? How could you, how could you do this great evil and sin against God? How would she have felt? And that's going over old ground. Listen to the... The, 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 the message from last week. See, he would have given the Holy Spirit something to convict the judgment out of her, right? May God help us, you know what I'm saying, to act like we believe. It's a powerful witness. May God help us to walk in purity 
And as a result, see the power of God manifest, leading to conversion on a grand scale. I remember there was a guy in the post office. His light was shining so bright. Oh, my goodness. It was like the Lord just started saving people in the post office, me included. You want to see people getting knocked over like nine pins, getting saved. There's about 10 people that got saved in my office in about six months. It was incredible. And I would say at least half of them are still walking with the Lord. And that's what we want to see. You know what I mean? Leading, we want to see great testimony of individuals, a light shining to the point where it leads to conversion. Not just one and two, thank the Lord for the one and two, but on a grand scale, seeing believers increasingly added to the Lord in multitudes. That's what we're hoping for when we go to Jamaica. Multitudes. Both men and women, the Lord is unhindered and he's working powerfully here in the text. Believers, I'm emphasizing it because it needs to be emphasized because you need to see what the Lord ultimately can and wants to do. Believers increasingly added, in the Greek it says, to a greater degree. I mean, he's already saved 10,000, in excess of 10,000 people. But now it says the Lord is now saving at an, at an even higher rate because of the fear. And people, the Lord is saving people even more than before, saving multitudes. Check it, both ladies and guys. Wouldn't you like to see more guys come into the church and become men of God, ladies? Huh? I thought I would have got a better response than that. All right then, all right then, fellas, guys, see I know you ain't going to hold back, you're going to be honest, right? Not that the ladies ain't honest, they're just modest, they like that, they like that, innit? <laughs> they're just modest, they're trying to keep themselves pure, they don't want to come across and give the wrong, give the wrong impression, fellas, guys, wouldn't you, all right, wouldn't you like to see more ladies get saved, grow, and become eligible wives? Yeah. Look, hey, yo, I got the married men saying amen. <laughs> amen. Let's see, let's see, let's see marriage potential boosted. Amen? All right. Well, you know what? It starts, it starts with holy living and evangelism. It's more about becoming the right person than looking for the right person. The church at this point is growing at an astounding rate. Verse 15, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Now, some would suggest that this describes the extraordinary power of Peter insomuch that even his shadow was effectively emanating healing power. I would suggest that we ought not to believe this. 
Verse 15 actually describes the fact that people desire to get as close to Peter as possible. Even within close proximity, close enough to have Peter's shadow fall on them, describing that they were within his reach. They brought the stretchers and the couches close enough for Peter to see them in the hope that Peter would stretch out his hand and he'd administer healing by the power of the Spirit. He didn't have a shadow healing ministry. (laughs) As some teach. Then in verse 16, we see others flocking, and this is what you'd expect. If this is what is popping in Jerusalem for real, I mean, we got people flocking and it ain't even happening. Can I get a witness? Now, can you imagine if it's popping for real? I mean, people are flocking from all over. It says from nearby, um, just outside the city of Jerusalem, verse 16, also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. And check it, they were all healed. See, the Lord is in the process of completely and unequivocally authenticating the message of the apostles. And he's doing it by by providing a 100% success rate regarding healing. Verse 17, then the high priest rose up. And all those who were with him, him and his boys, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with joy and adulation at the fact that the people were being blessed, says they were filled with indignation. Now check it. The most influential individual in Israel, the leader, the head, the president, if you like, the prime minister, which, which essentially means the principal servant. I loved it when I heard, I'm on a Jamaica team. I loved it when I heard Bruce Golden, who's now the prime minister in Jamaica, when he, in his inauguration speech said, you know what? As I stand here, I'm humbled because I realize that as prime minister, I am the principal servant. Prime means one, and servant, sorry, minister means servant. Well, this man, he was not like Bruce. He wasn't humble. He's supposed to be primary, not lording it over people, but primary in example. That's scary. And that's the heart of leadership. He's the most important. He's the chief high priest. Responsible for ruling, responsible for overseeing, he is the head of the Sanhedrin. A man who is guilty of not, imagine all of those accreditations. You introduce this person and everyone's like, who? Only to find out that the man is not guilty, the man is not fulfilling his roles and his responsibilities. He's actually guilty of not doing his job. And it's the high priest along with those who are described clearly as who? You lot are paying too too much attention to me. 
<laughs> Verse 15 says, who's the group that come along with him? The Sadducees. Now remember, we've talked about the Sadducees, so we're not going to spend any time apart from to bullet point the fact that these are those who, one, they don't believe in what? They don't believe in angels. Someone said the third one I'm going to mention. What else, though, do they not believe in? They don't believe in miracles. <laughs> I've, got, I've got the order here, see? <laughs> and they don't believe in, rightly so, as you said, they don't believe in a resurrection. Now, the first question you would ask is, what on earth are they doing in that job? You don't believe in them things? Them things are fine. These are the things you fight and die over. We don't fight and die, like I said at the beginning, of, over the peripherals. But you fight and die over these things if you're a believer. You'd be like, hey, what? You don't believe, you don't believe these things. Well, we got an issue. You know what I mean? We got an issue. And it says, and it's no surprise that these men are filled with indignation. Because they they got, the, got the right shirt on, but they actually belong to the wrong team. Right? They're filled with indignation over what? Verse 16. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people, and I've read it, different emphasis, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Check it. Imagine religious leaders and presumably holy men of God responding in this way to people being benefited. It beggars belief. Well, it's because, which is interesting, it's one thing seeing it and saying, okay, that's what it is, but why? It's because they were losing their influence. And the disciples were gaining and maintaining, not one and two, but a crowd. See, for these Jewish leaders, it was all about power and money. And both of those commodities were now in jeopardy. Hence, they were filled with indignation. The word indignation is associated with envy. Some of your translations may have, or jealousy, which, which then leads to resentment, bitterness, and malice. Remember last week we said, if you, if you sense that stuff coming up in your heart, you need to get rid of it immediately. Because that root of bitterness will grow up and you begin to have fruit of bitterness. And that's the, the root you can't see. But how many of you know you can see the fruit? So in order not to see the fruit, you need to get rid of the root. Envy, jealousy. Does it sound familiar? Turn back quickly to chapter 4. Just turn back the page. And it says... And it came to pass on the next day, verse 5, chapter 4, that their rulers, elders, and scribes, which are the group of people that we're talking about, as well as, check it, Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Someone said I should, I should, I should leave the accents out. <laughs> They didn't like the, the accent from last week. Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel. It'd be like, come on now. Rulers, of, elders, if we this day are judged for a good deed, it's not a bad deed, it's a good deed done to a helpless man, 
By what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Luke chapter 13, if you turn there real quick, if you can't, you can just look up on the screen. Luke chapter 13, as you turn in, I'm going to start reading at verse 10. See, I'm hustling. Now, he, speaking of Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Now, you know that, just you, if you spend some time in the Bible, you know that if you're dealing with the Sabbath and the scribes and the Pharisees, you know you're dealing with a, with a hot potato, right? It says, Luke 13, verse 10, Now, he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold... There was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18, 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to himself and said to her, Woman, your day of liberation has come. You are loosed from your infirmity. Now how wonderful would that have been to see, let alone experience, and he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But, but the ruler, it'd be bad if it was just a minion. You know, he'd just be one of the servants. The ruler of the synagogue answered with the same indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on one of those days and not on the Sabbath. The Lord then answered him and said, straight. <laughs> you pretender. You actor. You chameleon. You hypocrite. Does not each one of you, and you can see Jesus pointing to the whole of them, the whole crowd of these men in their robes, looking down their noses at the peasants or those who are less spiritual. He looks at all of them and said, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? Oh, 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 Jesus keeps on going. Evidently, they never answered him, right? So, so, so ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, someone who's created in, in the image and the likeness of God, Surely, she's more important than an ox or a cow. That you, you, you know you will help out and give some water when it's thirsty because it's yours and you want to look after it. Really, it's a selfish reasons, isn't it? You want to look after it because you know that it's going to bring you some money, so you will do that. But then, when somebody else does it, you want to point them out and pretend that you don't do the very same thing. This poor woman who Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years... Should she not be loosed from this bondage on, even on the Sabbath? Verse 17, and when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the multitude, hallelujah, rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Jesus, I tell you, he comes to right wrongs. You know what I'm saying? He's the defender of the weak. And the one who exposes the corrupt and the powerful. No one in the kingdom of God can be anything other than humble. 
You have to keep your head down low in the kingdom. And I mean. Luke chapter 19. Verse 45. Just flick over a couple of pages. Then he, that is Jesus, got to a point where he'd had enough. And he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, it is written, my house is a house of prayer. But you crooks and criminals, you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the same temple that we're obviously in, in Acts chapter 5. He was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief, the top men, those who were responsible and in authority, the scribes and the leaders. You see how this, like I said last week, the Bible don't use words unnecessarily. You see the emphasis is putting on who these people are. So that you will be able to say, whoa, this is wickedness. The leaders of the people, they sought to destroy Jesus. And they were unable to do anything. For all the people were very attentive to hear him. You see why they're indignant in Acts chapter 5? Check it. For these religious leaders, it's like deja vu. He'd be like, okay. Well, there was one of them that was giving us a whole heap of trouble a couple of months ago in this very same temple. And we dealt with him the way we deal with problems. But we kill one of them, and as a result, they've now multiplied. We haven't been able to stop the advance. We have seemingly encouraged and fertilized it. Instead of stopping it, it's gained momentum. We murdered the leader. Now they've returned harder and stronger. Just like the Israelites under Pharaoh. Do you remember? In Exodus chapter 1 verse 8, it says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. No time to develop this, but he said to his people, Look, don't like the way that these Israelites are going on around here. Too many of them. We have to whittle them down. What do they call it? When someone goes into a country and they just... Genocide. Nothing new under the sun, right? And he said, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come. Let us deal with the matter. Sorry. Let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us. And so go up out of the land. Therefore, he says, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. You'd be like, you see these scribes and the Pharisees, if, anything, if anyone ought to know the history, they should have known it. They, can't even, they don't even remember and recollect this, even to the point where they realize, wait a minute. We're, we're acting just like Pharaoh did back in the day. I tell you, it's one thing now in the Bible, what it says, and it's another thing applying it. May God help us. It says, <clears throat> they were afflicted. You know, the people of God never need to fear affliction. 
We as the people of God, we never need to fear hard times. We never need to fear, as much as there's a temptation to fear it, we never need to fear difficulty. Very often, it's the very thing that causes growth. Numerically and also spiritually. Don't see the days that we're living in now with regard to the credit crunch like the rest of the world sees it. It's a time of difficulty, right? But our God promises to supply all our needs. If he doesn't, he's a liar. But the scripture says that he's not a man that he should lie. We can put our trust in him. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. All the gold and the silver are his. The earth and everything in it is the Lord's. So we have to arm ourselves with that, even in the midst of this time. It's difficult. Everybody's looking at their credit card bill and thinking, boy, or credit cards. Man, boy, I need to get some consolidation going on here. You know what I mean? And get a loan and go get a mortgage. I think every one of us is thinking about those things, right? You know what I mean? It, but we don't need to be overwhelmed and consumed with it. Because these things, as we're going to see in a minute, they don't come to crush us. If anything, they're going to help us. They're going to build us. They're going to help us to grow, if nothing at all, in our confidence in the Lord. Because he's faithful. David says, I was enlarged. I, I wonder how many of you know this verse. David says, I was enlarged in success. No. He says, I was enlarged in distress, Psalm 4, verse 1. So you're moaning and complaining about, oh man, you know what? With, re with reference to the difficulties and the trials that come into your life, you're responding negatively about that means you don't want to grow. It means you don't want to be enlarged. It's like muscles, right? We all hate it, fellas. We all want to look buff. You notice all the man them walking down the Summertime, the sun comes out. I see this brother walking down the street, no shirt on, with his dog. Dog's pulling him. Every time the dog pulls him, his pecs go or his, his, his abs go. And I'd be like, and this, I mean, it was still like below 10 degrees centigrade. <coughs> it weren't even blazing. You know what I mean? This brother's out. Tim said to me, Rob, you seem to be wearing a lot of them t shirts nowadays. Spend time in the gym in the winter. As soon as the sun comes out, you're like, hey. What? Well, you know what? That buff look, that tonk look, it only comes by virtue of hard work in the gym. You know what I mean? You want to get large? Well, you have to, it takes work. It takes hard work and effort. And the way even your muscles are built is you have to rip them. That's what you're doing, my good friend, Something um, was showing me the other day. I can't remember where we were, but Reynolds, you know, Reynolds a fitness brother. He's like, yeah, Rob, you know what? Because I was asking him about them supplements and stuff that you can take to. <laughs> Man's exposing himself, isn't it? I haven't started yet. But honestly, it's like Helen the other day. I'm going to get back to my point. The other day, Helen was saying to me, my wife, if you don't know Helen, I um, was saying, oh, you know, I really want to start running and kind of getting fit. And, 
And she said she feels guilty not doing her devotion and running. She feels like, oh, I'd rather do my devotion and miss the run. But I still need to run. And I said, well, you know, honey, just put your iPod on. Because she's a hater. Helen don't like no electronics or she don't like no, nothing, you know what I'm saying, electrical, right? But I'm like, and now she's submitted. <laughs> nah, it's not even about that. It's just that she's learned wisdom, that's all, you know what I mean? I'm digging myself into a hole in it. See, I... <clears throat> so anyway, my point is, what was my point? <laughs> Amen. Amen. It's like, I encouraged her, I said, honey, take your iPod, put on the word, put on a message, and go for your run. Then you're killing two birds with one stone. We have to look after our bodies, you know. Now, on a level, we have to look after our bodies. You know what I mean? I said, I mentioned that last week, the couch potato. Um, remember? Lifestyle. Amen. So we've got to look after our bodies, and it takes work. It's godly to look after your body. So, to be enlarged, to be benefited, to be stronger, it takes work. It takes work. It takes effort. That's what it takes. So if you want to be enlarged, don't complain about the difficult stuff. Don't, come, don't be down the gym and the, the man saying, look, you've got to do this. And you're like, oh, do I have to? That don't even make sense. If there's no pain, there ain't no gain. And, and this is just a principle that we see. And I think we all have issues when it comes to self-control, a lie. It's just that different people struggle in different areas. And sometimes it's like sexual sin. Somebody will, will have sex. Oh, I remember, Pete, I'm a lying. In, 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 when we was at Westminster, sweet, sweet sister. So pure and lovely. You know what I mean? Just so, such a precious sister. And um, she slipped once with this brother. Brother inveigled her, you know what I mean? I got her to sleep with him and had sex. One time, virgin, and she got pregnant. And there she was, all out there for everybody to see in the church. And it was so sad, because, because there's people in the same congregation doing much worse things on a regular basis, but you don't see it. You know what I'm saying? So may God help us not to look at the next person and I mean, I'd be laughing or pointing a finger, but may the Lord help us to judge ourselves, take the beam out of our own eye, you know what I mean, before we see the splinter in our brother or sisters. <clears throat> I was enlarged in distress. Don't lose hope when you're going through the middle of a test or a trial or a difficulty. Don't give up and don't cave in when times get difficult. They say when the, when the going gets tough, Maybe you should just quit. No. Then there would, be no, there would be no use for words like persevere, persist, endure. You might as well just rip them out of the dictionary. Because they become pointless. But they're there for a reason. Yes, <clears throat> it means precisely those things. To be brave and to be bold. To be determined, to be rugged, strong, indomitable. The saying goes, the tough get going. And tough functions as a plural noun here, for those of you that got 
O level or a GCSE or A level in grammar. I don't even know if I know what that means. <laughs> tough functions is a plural noun here. Those who are tough or strong get going. They spring into action to meet whatever challenge is making things tough or difficult. When the, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. When the situation gets critical, those who aren't weak-willed, those who aren't weak-willed work harder and never give up. Did you know the proverb or that phrase is attributed to who? <clears throat> Where did that phrase come from? When, it's, when the going gets tough. Joseph P. Kennedy, the father of U.S. President John F. Kennedy. The saying is found in varying forms. When the times are tough, the tough see opportunities. When the going gets tough, the tough see opportunities, just like Joshua and Caleb. After spying out the land that God promised to give them as an inheritance. Check it. How many of you know that fulfilling your purpose means that you've got a fight on your hands. The other eight spies, they were excited about the benefits, but paralyzed by the challenges. Joshua and Caleb were like, are you nuts, blood? They'd be like, like an obstacle course. It's difficult and it's hard. And at the end of the, ho- the obstacle course, you collapse in a heap, right? But tomorrow, the next day or the next week, how many of you know you, you found muscles that you never knew you had? Because you, you made it through the obstacle course. You felt like you were going to die halfway through. You lot seen that crazy new, maybe it's not so new, this program, this, this new obstacle course, I can't even remember what it's called, and it's got the arm that swings around and you've got to jump over it like this. Have you not seen that one? It's some obstacle course on some next level. And if you can make it, you see them balls, you, you jump, you've got to bounce on them balls and you've got like five of them to, to I looked at it, I thought, that's impossible. These people are wicked. No one is going to ever be able to do that. And, and, about, and about three people done it. And when you see them at the end, <laughs> covered in mud, mash up. I mean, half of them don't even make it right to the end. And you know, you, you, they just about. I mean, they're not even moving forward when they get to the end of the course. They're moving from side to side. And they just about make it and fall in a, in a heap. Well, you, all you got to do is you, you make that a practice. Nine out of ten people will be like, I'm not doing that. But the person that commits himself to it, all right, I'm laboring a point, right? Like an obstacle course, it's difficult and it's hard, but it will make you stronger. How many of you are sensing the need for us to man up? Like it's time to go to war. And there was a time where you hear that talk, you'd be like, kind of shrink in the background, and you're like, ooh. But now it's like, you know what? Nothing long. It's about that time now, you know what I'm saying, that no more excuses. Lord, I'm serious. You said that I can do this, so 
In my own strength, Lord, I can't do this. And you, like the proverb says, when, when the going gets tough, how does it go? Everyone after three, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Thank the Lord for Billy Ocean. How could I, how could I not mention him? Thank the Lord for Billy Ocean for putting it in a song. So it's like when, as soon as you hear that phrase, whenever you hear that phrase, the automatic response is exactly that. It's like, come on, we can, let's do this. Joshua and Caleb said of the, of the giants in the land, they are food for us. You know, I never understood that the first couple of times I read that. They said, the giants in the land are food for us. If we conquer them, it's going to benefit us. It's going to make us stronger. And the Lord himself said, I brought you out in the wilderness to test you. To really see what you're made of. And you know, Joshua and Caleb... They weren't strong in their own strength. They said, the Lord is with us. Come, let's go take the land. Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, my brethren, be strong, but not in yourself. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And here's another thing. We were reminded yesterday by Pastor Brian Broderson at the Calvary Chapel Oxford Conference that God allows you to go through horrendous stuff. In order that once he has brought you through, you might be an encouragement for someone else going through similar difficult circumstances. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, verse 8, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure. We were burdened above strength. So that we despaired even of life. He wasn't blowing a circumstance or a situation out of proportion. If you know the life of Paul, you understand what I mean. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Can you hear the progression even in, in, in a way that he's communicating? It was tough and we were down, but then you know what? And you can hear him peeking in his recognition of the fact that it, it's like, if it's down to us, forget it. But as soon as you bring the Lord into the equation, everything changes. Go back to verse 3 in 2 Corinthians 1 to see the rationale behind this type of thinking. Look at the reasons why. He says, blessed be God, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in some of our tribulation. All right. See, the emphasis is for you, for you to see that every single one of your circumstances 
no matter how difficult they get, the Lord not only is going to help you, he's going to comfort you through that. See? If you're his, you will never be able to find yourself in any difficulty that is outside of his sphere of influence. All. He comforts us in all our tribulation. That we may be able to, why? That we, see we're very selfish when we go through these difficult times. But this is the rationale. This is the, this is the thinking that has to be, has to permeate your understanding and your appreciation so that when you go through it, you can respond, oh, as much as I'm the one going through it, feeling the pain, it's not, it's not about me. That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. If you complain throughout your circumstances, then you're, you're, you're preventing God the ability to comfort you. Very often it's your relationship with the Lord is sweetest at the end of a trial. And you're able to look back and say, wow. Verse 5, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds, abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective. I mean, these guys were laying down their lives in order that others might hear the gospel. I mean, that's the ultimate comfort. You lay your life down so someone can get saved. And we're going to talk about this more as the year goes on. The, the issue of being missional in your thinking. If you think that you're just here for you, you're not a person. You're not a man on a mission. You're not a woman on a mission. It'd be like 007. The brother's on a mission. He don't get caught up with the things that like, you have, can you imagine 007 sitting at home watching television? <laughs> it, that don't even sound right. The man's, got, the man's on a mission. He ain't got time for them things. Not to say that watching telly is evil, but you understand the point. The man is on a mission. And our lives would be so exciting if we were to see it from that point of view. Yeah. Hey. I mean, you even stand differently. You never see 007 hunching. You get me? Or looking glum like, are you alright 007? Yeah, I'm alright. But, <laughs> see, is that you? Is that your spiritual stance and stature? You feeling me, bruv? See, the reason you're not like a James Bond man on a mission, the saint. The reason you're not a person on a mission is because possibly you're just thinking about yourself and oh, woe is me. And I thought that if I'm a child of God, how can I be going through this stuff? Now, there's a time to think like that. You know, in your kids, 
when they fall over and they bump their knee, they're like, hmm, and they give you that lip. Mm. You're like, oh, come here, it's all right. There's a time for that. But kids don't stay kids or children. They have to grow up. Whether they like it or not, time moves on. You know what I'm saying? The nutrients and the food that you eat create and cause your body to grow, and you find yourself in a big body. Now it's like, it's, it's indirectly trying to tell you that you're, a, you're an adult now. I mean, if you know, we've got a lot of, we've got a lot of children walking around in adult bodies. That's just naturally speaking. It's all about spiritually speaking. You know what I mean? When we have, I'm on a mission. I'm in the world, but I'm not of it. This is not my home. I've been dispatched. Hey. We've got to teach the youth this and the children's ministry. Hey, spy kids. Yeah. You're on a mission. For you who ain't got kids, you probably don't even know what I'm talking about. We watched them, them DVDs, or at least we did back in the day. So when you go through a difficult time, verse 6, if we're afflicted, it's for somebody else's benefit. Oh. You'd be like, how can you be a spy, not on a mission? You'd be like, money penny will be like, what do you mean? You don't want to go to, me and Mark was having this conversation. What do you mean? You have to be in Dubai by 5 a.m. Man's like, oh, do I have to go all the way to Dubai? Can't I just go over to, can't we just make it Paris? She's like, can you imagine money? She'd be like, national security is at risk. See, and again, it's, it's other, other people's lives are at risk. That's a whole other message, isn't it, really? It is for your consolation and salvation which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope is for you. Our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so also you will partake of the consolation. Back to Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is a sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in a common prison. Now that must have been tough. Thrown in prison for not doing anything wrong, but they're men on a mission. So hey, the Lord sustains them in that. Now watch verse 19. Now, this doesn't always happen when you're on your mission, but it might sometimes. Verse 19, but at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Incredible. And said, verse 20, go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. It'd be like, in other words, keep on doing, Peter and John, what you're doing. Verse 21, and when they heard that, Boom, we're men on a mission. They entered the temple. Look, not, they never had a lie. How many of you know they deserved a lion? Look at what it says. It says, when they heard that, 
They entered the temple early in the morning and taught. And you might say, well, Lord, why did you allow them to be imprisoned only to deliver them? Okay, well, let's see. Second part of verse 21. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel. And they sent to the prison to have Peter and John brought. Right? So, verse 22. But when the officers came and they did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely. The bars and the bolts and the locks were all intact. We don't know how, but they got out. And the guards were standing outside before the doors. But when we went in and opened, yeah, let's get them out, these criminals. And when they, uh uh-uh, where are they gone? We found no one inside. Verse 24, now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. Now, ain't that messed up? They don't see it and think, oh my goodness. The doors are locked. The bolts are in place. The soldiers are standing outside the doors. The question I would ask was, how on earth did that happen? And you'd be like, I mean, it don't take rocket science. You'd be like, a miracle took place. That's not the question they ask. Look at the question they ask. They wondered what the outcome would be. Because they're more concerned about what's going to happen when people find out. What are we going to do? We need to do something about this. They're more concerned about other things. Verse 25. So so one came and told him, saying, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. How do you feel? (laughs) Verse 26. Then the captain went with the officers... And brought them, check it, without violence. Not like before, you know, grab them up and want to... Without violence. Why? For they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. Talk about the tables turning. Talk about popularity shifting. The balance of power is shifting. Verse 27, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and you intend to bring this this man's blood on us, which is not what the disciples were trying to do. They weren't trying to accuse these guys. It's you lot. We're out to get you. We're on a mission. You man need to go jail because you're crooks and you're criminals. That weren't their aim. But maybe the leaders are getting shook now and they're like, oh, you know where this could lead? So we better just firm it and get even darker. It's, It's pride. You intend to bring this man's blood on us. They were being accused of something they weren't doing. And here it is. His blood was upon them because you remember what they said at the crucifixion. We don't want Barabbas. Sorry, we don't want Jesus. We want Barabbas. 
Crucify Jesus. But the man ain't done anything wrong, said Pilate. We don't care. Crucify him and let his blood be upon us and our children's children. And now you want to talk about you're trying to bring this man's, man's blood upon us. You can see them trying to get the blood off of their hands, but they can't. Because the blood is on their hands and it's their guilt now speaking. Here it is. Why the Lord allowed his children to go through difficulty, thrown in prison, treated horrendously, harshly, unfairly. Here it is. The reason why the Lord allowed them to be temporarily in prison, and hear this, because this is the heart of the message. This is the reason why the Lord will allow us sometimes to go through difficulty. It's not about us. Watch. The reason why the Lord allowed them to be temporarily in prison. Why, Lord? The disciples now have yet another audience with the corrupt religious leaders. And another opportunity to speak directly to the whole council. They wouldn't have had this opportunity if they hadn't got thrown in prison and be like, the Lord delivers them. Quick, get them out. Where are they? Oh, they're not there. Oh, bring them before us. See, who thinks they got the power? Be like Pilate. Do you not? Are you the? Are you the? What is truth? Says Pilate to Jesus. Remember? No answer. Do you not know I have the power to have you crucified? Be like, you're tripping, fam. Like, I am powerful and mighty. You need to respond to me. They bring the disciples like, yeah, we're powerful. So bring them before us. And what they are not seeing is... The one who's great and mighty and powerful has actually brought this about. Right? And it's another opportunity for the disciples to share the gospel with the whole council. Can you see the bigger picture? So when you're going through your time of difficulty and as a person on a mission, oh, I don't like this. I don't, I don't see the reason for this. But Lord, I'm a secret agent. And I'm not going to ask any questions. Just give me the envelope. Sealed envelope. I'm not going to open it. Where does it need to go? Fine. And I will risk my life to get something I don't even know that's in the envelope to where it needs to get to. Because I'm a man on a mission. See the grace of God. Watch. God's word is, is so multi-layered. See the grace now of God towards these evil, unrepentant men who are sinners who need to be saved. Talking about they think they're powerful. Even then, the Lord is gracious to them, providing them now with another opportunity to hear the gospel. Verse 29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ain't trying to bring no blood on you. That's, what, that's, that's not what this is about. What this is about is something you know nothing about. We ought to obey God rather than men. That's why we're doing what we're doing. And you don't see that. Watch the gospel now. Peter, Peter, not, Peter 
He knows what I want. Peter, watch the gospel, the good news presentation. Check it. I love it. Mike, where are you? Watch Watch the gospel presentation based on the law. And he's going to use the sixth commandment to speak straight to their conscience. Watch. Verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom, yes, you murdered. Now, we're not harping on that. But that's the facts. That's what happened. And on the basis of the fact that you broke the sixth commandment, you should feel guilty. I shouldn't be down here telling you up there, who's supposed to be up there telling me down here, about the commandments of God. But since you asked for it, Verse 30, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him, God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior. To give, check it, and here's, here's the mercy and the grace of God. To give repentance to Israel, who you are a part of. To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Verse 32, and we are witnesses of these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit that you keep stiff arming. So also is the Holy Spirit is the one who is willing and wanting to regenerate you if only you would open up your heart. Whom, and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who will what, obey him. Scribes and Pharisees, you lot have lost the plot. You lot dropped multiple balls. It'd be like, just repent, man. Why are you tripping? Just obey him and he'll give you his spirit. A big part of the reason why the Lord allowed this is for the Sanhedrin to have another opportunity to be exposed to the message. And it seems to be having an effect. Watch. Verse 33. When they heard this, uh-oh, they were furious and plotted to kill him. Some of them still ain't getting the message. Don't, don't tell me they're not hearing it. They don't want to hear it. Right? So what's new? Well, verse 34 is what's new. We get the impression that even though the majority don't seem to respond to the gospel, we have a glimmer of hope. Verse 34, then one in the council stood up. One person responds. He didn't have to, and he was under pressure not to, because all of his crew are there. All of his man, them, who over the years... He would back it for them and they would back it for him. Standard. We don't business if it's wrong. We will kill, we will have someone stoned in order to protect our interests. Yet, because of the power of the gospel, the power of the message and the power of the Holy Spirit at work. One person is now seemingly affected. Let's not sleep on the power of the gospel. The Bible says in Romans 1 that it is what? 
The gospel is the, thank you my brother, is the power of God. It's the, it's the God's word is powerful. It, but I don't, Robert, Robert, I speak to people and I don't see no, 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 no effect, no response. If anything, I see the opposite. So, what, what does that, yeah, uh, yeah, maybe you're right, maybe it ain't got no power, let's just. I could find something much better to do on a Sunday. If this ain't true, if God's word ain't powerful, we may not always see it, but that doesn't mean that it's not working. Let's finish on a corker. And I'm not just going to quote the verse, I'm going to quote the context. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6. Verse 6 is one of my favorite scriptures. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon his name while he is near. If a man's got wisdom, he will respond to that verse. Verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Because that's where the unrighteous way begins in the thinking. That's what repentance is. It's a change of mind. Metanoia means change the way you think. Because when you change the way you think, it ultimately will change the way that you act. If you change <coughs> the way you think as a believer, it will change the way that you behave. We're talking about believers acting like believers. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. And check it. He will have mercy on him. God, gives, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I mean, that's not hard. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts, the Lord says, are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. You see, now you see the context, the context of that verse. You be like, Lord, I'm too wicked and bad. Lord, that brother over there is too wicked and bad for you to save him. No, that's your thoughts. That's not my thoughts, says the Lord. I will abundantly pardon. You got it twisted. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than, than your thoughts. Now watch verse 10, because it, 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 it provides a platform for verse 11. Check it. For as the rain, listen carefully. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there. The rain's coming down and it's coming down for a purpose. As the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud. I just realized the parable of the sower. As it comes down and it, and it makes it, make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Question. Does the water come down without no purpose? Well, wait a minute. It rained and you never saw the seed come up. Oh, well, maybe we should just forget farming. We don't say that. Because it's foolish to say that. Because the rain is coming to, to, to fulfill a purpose. Verse 11. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. But it shall 
It shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Just because you don't see the effect, it doesn't mean that it's not powerful. Two things. Either it's going to powerfully affect these men to the point where they, re- where they respond and repent, or they will harden their heart, stiffen their neck, and God on the day of judgment will say, I sent my word. And I sent it to benefit you, but you didn't want the benefit of it. So now I'm going to use it for the other purpose for which I sent it. Because my word ain't going out for no reason. Now I am going to judge you on the basis of that word. And I want you to tell me, you who are so high and mighty, down there lording it over everyone, embezzling, stealing, killing, sinning. Now, I want you to tell me why you never accepted that, why you never responded to that. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that individual standing before God because, you know what, all the big talk, all the shouting and screaming, bring them before me, all of that business... And the question I want to ask you today, if you're a believer is, as we conclude, are you an individual on a mission? Or are you an undercover secret agent? You're so undercover that you don't even know it. It's one thing people not know, but you don't even know it. Is that you? What are you going to do about that? As a Christian, what are you going to do? Are you going to continue your life like that? You get home. You, you, you're saved. Because we're not saved on the basis of works. Let's just clear that up. It's not, oh, because you're not on your mission heavy. Mm, yeah. He's definitely saved. No, it's not that. Because you may be saved and not necessarily a man or a woman on a mission. But if you are saved, you ought to be on a mission verse that the Lord has just so rocking me on is Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 and it says this for you are God's workmanship he made you for you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has planned beforehand that you should walk in. Now you're either going to say amen to that. Lord, what's the strategy? What's the plan? Where are we going? What are we doing? Or you're going to say, well, you know what, Lord? I'm really down here for me. I'm not really down here for you. And as far as I'm concerned, just give me the benefits. I don't want nothing to do with the challenges or the difficulties. That don't even sound right. 
As a Christian, are you on a mission? I said about a month ago, if you're not serious about your Christianity, it's going to get very uncomfortable for you around here. Because I don't know how many, how many of these messages you can take. And you know what? The impression I get is there's more in the barrel. And I'm not talking about me. And I'm saying, I'm talking about what the Lord is saying to us. We have to respond. We have to. And the other person I want to speak to today is the individual who is in the category, not of the believer and you're saved and got a mission for you. Mm -mm. You're not at that place yet. Yet God wants you to be at that place. God wants to sign you up. And he wants you to join the secret service. But the question is, are you prepared to take the challenges that come with the mission? Because it's not all tea cakes and party. It's not all springtime in Paris. There's going to be times of great difficulty, times of great challenge. There are going to be times when you're, you're going to be sorry that you got involved. There will be times like that. But the question is, one, are you up for that mission? And two, are you prepared to take the consequences of signing up? The consequences of signing up is you have to change the way that you think. You have to change the way you think about life, about your future. You have to change the way you think about yourself. And the real issue is there's something that's been going on in your life up until this point you cannot bring into our organization. And it's your sin. That has to be dealt with fundamentally. And God has, in, in, time, in times past, provided the answer to that problem, which is the sacrifice of an innocent individual on your behalf. Because the consequences of the sins that you've committed are such that you will be judged. And the penalty for just committing one of those sins, I mentioned the sixth commandment, which is thou shalt not kill. The implications of just breaking one of those commandments is death. And it's not just physical death. That would be bad enough. But it's spiritual death. You read through the book of Genesis, especially in the first few chapters where you see man in a great relationship with God, but because of his sin, separated from God. And if you want separation from God, you don't want God in your life, that's fine. Temporarily. But then when you die, and you have to stand before God, and he asks you why you did not receive his offer of forgiveness based on the sacrifice of Christ who is innocent, why you haven't received that, you won't even be given the opportunity to respond in. It's just a formality. The white throne judgment is called Revelation 19, where God will say, okay, you lived your life and you wanted it without me. Here are the ramifications of that. You know you've been enjoying sunshine. Well, I'll take back my sunshine, thank you very much, because I was the one that gave it to you. What do you now have? Darkness. I'm going to take back 
all of the good stuff that you've been enjoying, like friends and family, I gave those to you. I'm going to take away everything that you've been benefited by. Once I've taken all of that, what you're left with is hell. Now, undoubtedly, my time is gone. But what is your response, Christian, to being an individual on a mission? And what is your response to you who are outside of Christianity? You're outside of Christ. You're outside of the garden, like Adam and Eve were dispatched from. Do you want to come in the garden? Do you want to come back into relationship with God? What well, the offers there, if you desire to, you can speak to myself. You can speak to Pastor Patrick. Mark is in here. And I'm not sure if there's anyone else who can come and join me up at the front. If you'd like to pray and ask God to forgive you of your sins, he will do it today. And he will send you on your mission. Because he has got a mission for your life. He has got a plan for your life. Amen? Amen. All right, well, let's pray together. Father, it's been another long one. And I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, that we take your word so seriously, Lord, that there was nothing that was too important to make us get up and walk out because we have other things to attend to as important as they may be. I thank you, Lord. Thank you for helping us, Lord, to carefully, considerately set this time apart to hear you speak to us from your word. And Lord, I ask that this time would not be in vain, knowing that it is not in vain, because your word never returns to you empty, void, and not accomplish that for which it was sent. Father, I pray that you would help those of us who are on your, te on your team Do what we're supposed to, Lord, and play the game. So much excitement and fun in playing the game. It's hard. You get tackled hard. You might break your legs. You might crack your skull against the, against the goalpost. So many opportunities for injury, yet, Lord, it's so exciting. And Father, I pray that you'd so speak to the hearts. The scripture says, Lord, they were cut to the heart. Like a chainsaw, you cut through everything, the arm and the shoulder, right down the chest, into the heart. And I pray that that's what you'd have done, Lord, this morning by your spirit. Father, and got to that deepest recess in, in an individual, Lord, and spoke to them. And showed them the implications of sin. Yet, the benefit that comes because of the sacrifice of Christ Jesus that you provided, Lord. I pray that you would communicate that, Lord, today, even now and even throughout the rest of the day and the week, Lord, as we ponder, consider these things and meditate on them. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake, amen.